Have you ever wanted to catch a redfish? Maybe you've been out for redfish but never sight fished for them? Would you like to visit one of the most natural and diverse barrier islands in the world? Today, we've got the Bay Flats Lodge crew on the podcast to share some tips on sight fishing for redfish and what makes this part of the Texas coast so special. This is the Wet Fly Swing podcast where we show you the best places to travel for fly fishing, the best resources and tools uh, you need while you're there, and what you can do to give back to the fish species we love. Hey, I'm Dave, host of the Wet Fly Swing podcast. I've been fly fishing uh, since about as long as I can remember. I grew up in a fly shop, and I have created one of the largest fly fishing podcasts in the country. I've also interviewed more of the greatest fly anglers than just about any show uh, in this country on these topics. Today, you will hear from six of the most passionate guides in Texas and the tips they use to catch redfish by sight. You'll find out how to cast in the wind, why you need to practice your back cast cast again, and we'll also find out why you need some bead chain flies and uh, and how to fish your fly for redfish. This is a key we talk about today. We talk about how to fish this fly. This is a really special place. We're also going to get some tips on uh, why uh, if you fish here, you're going to be able to take the skills you learn here to many places around for saltwater around the world. So here we go. This is a big one. This is unique. The first time we've ever had six people on the podcast, so it's going to be good to keep this one straight. Let's do this. Guys from BayFlatsLodge.com. How you guys doing? Good. Good. Great. Hello. Good, good. This is pretty awesome because I think this is the first time we've had um, six people on the podcast at one time. We've done some Zoom events, some webinars, and live events. In fact, we had a live event last night with uh, basically like 400 people, although we had some tech issues last night. But this is the first time on the podcast we've done this. So it's going to be pretty awesome and unique for everybody listening. But but the lodge is really the big part of this thing. And so I want to let people know what it's about. And then also talk redfish, because that's a species that, you know, up front, I haven't fished for them yet. I'm hoping this will be the year that I actually have a chance to maybe get a chance at one. But um, But also the people listening, somebody's going to win this trip. And they're also going to maybe get a chance. So, yeah, Chris, why don't we start with you? I think you're maybe kind of leading things a little bit there. Uh, why don't you? We're not going to go deep into your background. We'll we'll circle back around on that. But let's just start with, um, you know, maybe give us a quick on the lodge. You know, how did it get started first, and then we'll circle around with everybody and do intros on everybody else. Yeah, Dave, thanks. We're a boutique fly fishing lodge that specializes in like sight casting for redfish, and it's uh, a unique area, unlike any others on the Texas coast. We have uh, access to thousands and thousands of acres of, of marshland, creeks, bayous, back lakes, back country. And we actually have access to the delta, which is just north of, of our lodge. So we're very fortunate, too, to have the best guides I've ever been around for fly fishing. So, yeah, we... Logistically, our lodge is just a few miles from marshland and, and marsh areas that are just incredible for, for fly fishing, but more, most importantly for sight casting. And so what makes this area so unique is that you're on the front of a technical polling skiff. The guy's pushing the boat or pulling the boat, and it, it's teamwork. He's, he's back there finding fish sight cat he's actually seeing fish probably before you are sometimes because of light you may see him before the guide but 
you're hunting the fish. So you don't make any false casts until you see a fish. And, and then that's when, that's when the fun starts. But the hunt itself to me is 90% of the, of, of the trip. To me, it's, it's, you're at, it's kind of like archery hunting for a trophy buck. You, you get sometimes one arrow and that's it. And, but a lot of times happy redfish will let you play with them a couple times and you get what I call mulligans like golf. But overall, the area is the area that, and that's why, you know, when we introduce these, these guys that work with the lodge, several of them, most of them are from other states. And we'll get into that when they when they introduce themselves. But we're very proud and excited to offer the hardest working guides I've been around. I've been doing this 25 years, bay fishing, wade fishing, duck hunting. And it's a breath of fresh air to be around guides that are so passionate and excited about the sport as I am. And it's just what keeps me going. I mean, I get up every day and I want to make it better and better and better because the people I'm around, they – energize me to want to be the best fly fishing caster i'm not a guide anymore i quit guiding in 2008 but i feel like it's a team sport and i'll just let let the guides tell you more about it that sounds great no and we're going to dig more into the lodge but let's uh let, let's kind of go around the circle here and maybe dylan we could start with you uh just introduce uh again who, who you are and maybe you know, where you're from, kind of which state you're from, and then how you found yourself working there at the Bay Flats. Yeah, man. So uh, I'm actually from a little town called Bastrop, Bastrop, Texas. You know, I grew up kind of fishing the coast was a big thing between me and my mom. Um, fished Matagorda a lot. And uh, one of my best friends is from South Padre. Started traveling down there. I was about 14, 15, somewhere in there. He's a little older than me. Um, that's kind of like where I first really got on redfish with a fly rod. You know, shortly after high school, I kind of ended up making South Padre my home. Um, what no, with really no intent on guiding, just kind of one of those things that fell into my lap. You know, you know, peer pressure with friends and family and stuff like that, and uh, I enjoyed it and I loved it. I've never fished anywhere else in Texas besides Matagorda, South Padre, and then once I got this chance from Chris to come up here to sea drift i will say the fishery is completely different here than it is down there i personally like it a lot more here it's just so diverse i mean you could be in crystal clear sands you can be in the middle of the marsh you can be around trees and stumps like a jungle it's it's amazing like your opportunities are endless nice nice well and as we as we go here this is this is great i think um Let's think of uh, maybe a tip just to primer, give people a primer on this as we go, because I want to get through everybody on the intros. Um, but I don't know, Dylan, do you have something on just a quick, as people are thinking, there's probably some people that have fished for redfish before, but anything like first time, like they're coming up here on this trip, what would you tell the first time person? I would say the first time person, I would honestly not forget polarized sunglasses. <laughs> I mean, that's probably the biggest tip you could possibly give is do not forget those. Um and as far as like looking for fish, you kind of want to look almost like you're looking through the water and not so much at the surface. I know typically times like early morning when you can't really see through the water, you're kind of looking for like a tip of a tail or a water movement. And then your eyes kind of adjust to that scenario as far as a beginner. So then you're, you're not really focused on through the water. You're looking more towards the surface of the water. And I mean, even happens to me from time to time. I mean, you still can pull across and then a redfish blow out that you never saw. So 
biggest kit tip I think is to look through the water. Like you're trying to look at the bottom. You're only going to be fishing, you know, a couple foot of water. Right. Okay. Perfect. All right. Um, and we'll circle back around everybody as we go here, but how about Matt? How about you? Where, where are you from? What's your, uh, you know, state or where are you from originally? Yeah. So I'm originally from East Texas, so I'm a native Texan. Grew up East Texas fishing waters and stuff down there. Kind of discovered fly fishing when I was 14 and then just kind of chased that passion ever since I became a guide about six years ago. Um, been in the trout scene for most of that. So I'm actually the newest guide here at Bay Flats. I've only been here for about three months. We're guiding for redfish for about three months. I guess I've been for Bay Flats for about a month or so. Yeah, man, I don't know. Just something about sight fishing, uh, fish all the time. You know, I love trout fishing, but once I discovered the redfish game, it's just something I never want to leave. So I really enjoy it. Yeah, it seems like that's one of those, it's one of those species that's, it's up there with all the big ones that I think that, you know, it, you know, whether it's steelhead or Atlantic salmon, it's one of those ones that feel like everybody has to have a chance. Do you guys, is that kind of what you get, you get the feel that it's on top of a lot of people's bucket list or, or do you see that? Has it been on yours, Matt, for a while? It was for, you know, a number of years. Um, I first caught redfish, I guess it's been about three years ago. Um, my first redfish and I don't know, after you get that one, it's like, you know, they pull a lot harder than drought. <laughs> so a lot more aggressive. So, you know. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, let's keep this going. So, uh, Tyler, why don't you introduce yourself where you're from originally, and then we'll, we'll keep this moving. Yeah. I'm Tyler Brown. I'm from Kerrville, Texas. It's about three and a half hours from Rockport, kind of right up there, headwaters of the Guadalupe river. So that's where I grew up fishing. Which is the, in the Guadalupe, we just had actually, uh, I just did the interview with Alan Berger. It'll go live on Wednesday, I think this week, who is part of the um, San Antonio partnership um, the bay partnership and he he talked about the whole everything that's going on some of the conservation issues but he mentioned the guadalupe and the fact that it drains into into the bay right san antonio bay yeah i thought that was super cool i still haven't caught a redfish in there but that's on my list of things to do kind of a full circle moment yeah yeah good good well we'll talk about the areas too where where you guys are fishing because alan explained it's really unique you know the, the kind of the habitats you guys are fishing so all right, let's let's go to Dane. Why don't you, uh, Dane, introduce yourself, and then we'll keep we'll move here, move on here. Yeah, I'm Dane Scott from Pueblo, Colorado, originally, so a little little ways from the coast. I grew up fishing Western Colorado. My grandfather owned a fly shop, so I was kind of doomed from the start. Made my way down to the coast six years ago. Now it was the first time I started fishing for redfish, and it was immediately just hooked so pretty much right after that i bought my first skiff and uh got my captains and started doing it nice nice and and how long have you been down in that part of the world um i've been guiding down here this will be we're going into my fourth year so i think that's right yeah all right and uh and mike uh let's jump to you and then we'll then we'll start to open it up here yeah mike yeah I'm actually from upstate New York originally, a little town called Utica, so nowhere near. After college, I moved to Gunnison, Colorado. I actually met Dane, and then we've been guiding together, and we've been roommates for a long time, so our, our stories are pretty similar. And uh, yeah, this will be my fourth year down here on the coast as well. Yeah, I love it, man. Same thing, seasonal split, living in the summer, living in the sun all the time. You can't beat it. Perfect. All right. Good. 
Well, so we've introduced everybody. We kind of have a little take on where you guys are from here. And uh, so let's just talk about the fishing a little bit because people listening now, there's going to be one person that's going to win this trip. But there's going to be a lot of people that, you know, might connect with you guys with questions. So first of all, let's just start with kind of timing. You know, what is the best time to go down there? Well, maybe not best time. What What are the options? Because I know there's some different options. And anybody, let's just keep it open. Whoever wants to chat, I'll leave it open. But what are... You know, if, if I had to say right now, I want to get my best sh- shot at a redfish, when would I want to go? November. Man, the spring's good. It's really, I don't know, it's it's tough to to pin it down. It's really weather dependent as well. You know, that's just kind of my take. The fall is um, is really good to find fish that are spread out. You know, so I think that your opportunities on a, you know, kind of like throughout the entire day may be a little more consistent in the fall, but. Man, it's all pretty good if the conditions are right. Yeah, year-round, Dave. We're, the lodge is fly fishing 12 months a year. It is, 12 months a year. Yeah, there's no closed season. And I've had peaks and valleys with every one of these guides. And what makes this place so unique is that it's, it's more tide-driven, wind-driven. And there's such diverse areas that are protected by mangroves and creeks and small islands that it doesn't matter. I mean, high wind days, you're still going to see fish and you're still going to sight cast a fish. There's not a day other than a cancellation that we don't go out. I mean, you, as long as you can make the shot count, we're, we're year round. That's good to hear. And I think in the November, as we're doing this, you know, this is kind of early you know march um so i mean we're gonna be we typically do these try to do them at least six months before the trip so i think november that period might work well october whenever for the for actually doing the trip if you guys had availability and then talk about so the the size of fish the different because you kind of have juvenile fish you can fish for right and some larger adults that are maybe talk about that where are you guys targeting kind of all different sizes of species and what would be a big redfish Tyler, you answer that because you just had a really good trip with big redfish. <laughs> well, I mean, our, we catch a lot of slot fish. I wouldn't say we catch a bunch of fish that are under 20 inches. Most of the fish we're catching are between 20 and 28 inches. When you start getting those fish that are closer, like 26, 27, 28, they're going to be a little bit, they just have bigger shoulders. They're bigger fish. And anything over that for us is is pretty good. People are catching you know, 30 plus inch fish that it happens, but in, in the marsh system and stuff, kind of those juvies, they spend three or four years before they get real big and go out into the bay. But yeah, most of our fish are, our slots 20 to 28 inches. And that's, that's kind of what we catch a lot. Okay. Yeah. So these fish are, so that as juveniles are kind of rearing in the, the seagrass in the shallower waters. Is that how it works? And then as they grow and get bigger, then they're heading out more into the bigger bay and even out into the further out towards the ocean? Yeah, three or four years before they go out and start their spawning thing. Um, but you, you'll see big ones back there, too. Some of those fish you put eyes on. But yeah, that's that's a 30-plus inch fish. Or that's, that's a huge one. Gotcha. Nice. Okay, so... So that covers the timing a little bit. I think on the trip itself, what is a typical, um, do you guys have different day lengths that people can come? Are they coming for a, a day or two, three, or is this more like it's always a week-long trip? It varies, Dave. Uh, Seadrift is only a couple hours from three major cities. So Houston, Austin, and San Antonio, we get a lot of people that come in for one or two days. And then the out-of-state business has really started to explode. And 
those people, we love those guests because they come for four or five days. And like we always say to each, to all the guides talk about it is that you're going to have at least two to three or one day. That's just going to be epic. Depends on the wind, depends on the way the if the fish are happy. Sometimes the fish are just pissed off. I mean, we talk about that all the time. And, and so if they're here for multiple days, you get better opportunities. Gotcha. So if we, if we were to come down there for say four nights, three full days of fishing, that might give us a shot at one of those days could be really epic and there's a good chance that could happen. And we, if we want to stay longer, we could, you know, somebody could do that as well. Yeah, correct. Want to experience a magic trick on a certain river at a certain time of day, time slows down. Where is this place? Located in the heart of Montana is a place where people go to slow things down, to float down a historic river, and to watch the birds dance across the sky. Watch animals explore the open land and, of course, to fish. If you're looking to slow things down, Helena, Montana is waiting for you. Visit Helena, Montana right now. You can head over to HelenaMT.com to get a change of pace this year. Today's episode is brought to you by Northern Rockies Adventures, premium fly fishing trips in the heart of the BC Rockies. Premium all-inclusive fishing packages from Vancouver, BC. Daily fly-in fishing trips to get you straight to the action. And the lodges offer private cabins and the utmost comfort. Learn more about this exclusive BC fishing trip at nradventures.com slash wetflyswing. So, um, so let's, let's talk some tips and tricks. You guys are out there on the boat. You know, you've got somebody like myself out there with you. I'm a, I'm an okay caster. Um, what are, what are you telling me to get me prepared, um, to maybe find a redfish, get my first, or if somebody's caught them before, what, what are you telling those people? Is this different than other parts of the world where they're fishing for redfish? Come on, Dane. I would, I would say that it's probably not all that much different. I think that what we're doing here is a lot more like bone fishing than, a lot of other red fisheries, you know, it's a high, high shot volume on a normal, normal day. So you're going to see some fish, you know, I, as the guide and all of these gentlemen here, they're probably going to see the fish well before you do. And they'll probably see a bunch of fish that you never see. But the thing is, you know, I always try to keep whoever's on the front of my boat, calm, collected, make sure that we both have an understanding of what 10 o'clock 30 feet looks like so you know that's that's my biggest tip learn that the bow of the boat i mean you can look down that's 12 o'clock directly to your right's three o'clock directly to your left's nine o'clock and then everything else that's really important because you want to start looking where i'm looking right away what i'm telling you you know if i say 10 o'clock and you're over here looking at three you know that's that's not going to be that's not going to be because i'm going to have to get you to look to the other side of the boat and then we're going to have to remember what 30 feet looks like so i'd say the biggest thing is just remember that you're holding a nine foot fly rod too so you know you're good for that you're already you're already nine feet out there so 30 feet is not that far we get a lot of shots that are 30 feet 30 to 40 feet is right in the sweet zone where like the fish will stay doing what they're doing on a normal day but you know, it's close enough that a lot of people that aren't super experienced can make that shot still. Yeah, that's great. And is this a, what weight is the rod typically you guys recommend? I like to fish an eight weight. Perfect. And, uh, and maybe we'll talk a little more about gear as we go here. So, 
So it sounds like, yeah, people are going to get a shot. Talk about, you know, let's bring it back to the first morning. So somebody rolls in the evening, they're, you know, getting ready to go out that next day. Uh, When are you guys getting rolling? What's that look like at the lodge? Paint that picture a little bit. I would say we like to start early because typically, you know, you, you roll out and you'll see redfish doing their thing early in the morning all the way up until the sun's real high. And then, you know, they kind of get weird. They're still around for sure, but they, most flats fish don't really like it when the sun's super high. So, you know, that morning bite is generally when you're going to see fish like backing and tailing. It's not the, not the rule, but like that's when we're looking to see like good fish activity. We like to start early depends on, you know, time of year. Obviously right now, early is like 730 to eight. And then in the summertime and warmer months, you know, you can, you can start even earlier than that. So we all kind of look forward to is I live right next to the lodge and it's kind of a spiritual time for me to, to meet the guides and go have breakfast with the clients and sit down and introduce the guides to the guests at breakfast. And some days we, well, all the time we love, we love Judy and Stephanie and the girls in the kitchen because they make us breakfast tacos to go if we need them. But it's a cool time you talked about what time to get going, but just, just to have that time to debrief or kind of get to know your guest. And a lot of times our guides, these guys right here, they're talking to the client well before they get here, asking questions, making sure they got the proper gear. And, you know, that's a really cool thing because, you know, we all love traveling, but imagine going to a scuba diving trip and getting to talk to your dive master two or three days before your trip versus just getting on the boat, don't know each other. It really is something special that we look, I look forward to it. I know these guys kind of do too in the morning. Yeah, that's it. It's, I've heard that before from people that talk about that. You're kind of on the flats and it's that calm period where you're just, you're, it's almost, I don't know, meditative or you're, you know, it's that thing, you know, as compared to when, a little bit later, maybe the wind gets kicking up. Is that kind of how it works? Is is the wind always that X factor where you're like, oh man, is it going to be, is it, I know in some of the rivers I fish out West, there's some rivers where 50% of the time it's going to be windy and your, your day is going to be tough. Is that kind of how it works where you guys are? Somewhat, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess through the summertime, you know, for sure, you always want to try to get, take advantage of that first initial half day that you can, because normally the wind's probably going to pick up, but there is an occasional day where you, it might be completely glass all day long. Sometimes it can be tough for the fishing as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. So the glassy might not be the best thing, the glassy water. Right. I think, I mean, every guy here could probably say something different about it. I don't want it super windy, but I don't know if I necessarily want it glass calm because it makes it real hard to push up on fish. I would say, you know, like wind is, is always a factor for sure. You know, it, it kind of makes it so you're picking where you're going, what you're doing, the direction you're maybe trying to push an edge or something. Like that. It's, a, it's a factor. But if you're saltwater fly fishing, I think that you have to come into it with the mindset that the wind is going to be blowing. So if it's blowing outrageously hard, like horse, you know, 35 knots and harder than you know, that's ridiculous and that's going to be comical to go try to fly fish in. But like, you know, 10 knots is pretty standard issue. And like, it's not going to be like super easy to put the fly right where you want it right away. So I'd say that's probably the big, 
practicing even is like you can go cast in the park and it's calm and it's chill and you're in town but you know casting 10 to 15 knots with a with a weighted fly is you know that's a different factor that i think just the only practice you're going to get there is on the bow of the boat so yeah it is so there's not much so if if i'm sitting here and we're thinking about this trip in october november and i want to be ready to go I could, i've got a couple nine weights here or whatever eight weights what would you tell me to do to practice to get and is it how close are we do we need to get to those fish well i'd say i'd say you know still you want to practice your casting double hauling you know and and make sure that you're accurate i'd say that it's way more important to be accurate inside 50 feet than it is to be able to throw 90 feet of line okay and accurate by accurate is that we're talking within a pie plate sort of thing dropping your fly in that range or yeah and a lot of times you know, you want to be able to lead that fish, you know, by two, three feet, you know, put it past them and kind of play the fly. I think, I think one of the most underrated parts of this is how you're actually moving the fly. Cause if you can get your fly somewhere close and move it correctly, you know, a lot of times that fish will come find it and he'll eat it. Cause you know, he's the only reason you're seeing him is he's looking for food. Right. Give us an example of that. Give us an example of we're on, we're on, we're making that cast and describing a situation where we'd be getting a fish to take it by moving the fly and adjusting it, where, where you would cast. So, I mean, let's say, let's say we see a fish that's out at 10 o'clock and he's 50 feet away and he's kind of moving to 11, slowly coming at us. Somebody throws a cast and they lead that fish by like 10, 12 feet, you know, and if that fish is kind of cruising, looking for food, he's not tailing and kind of sitting in one spot, you know, you, you're going to want to leave that fly and let it sit and just little, little bumps or ticks, we call them, you know, where it's just a small movement of the fly. You're not trying to strip it away from him. Is that like a rod or are you stripping a little, that sort of thing? Once you make that cast, you don't ever want to use your fly rod again until you come tight to that fish. So don't move the rod at all, ever, until... That fish is on. But, you know, if you're coming from the West or coming from a place where you're streamer fishing a lot, you know, your initial reaction is going to be to try to strip that thing away and try to get him to like chase it down and eat it like a bat or an aggressive brown trout. But these fish, you know, they're eating crustaceans, especially if you're seeing them, you know, cruising slow and like they're not crashing bait. They're not really looking to chase something down super hard. So, you kind of want to make it appear like there's just somebody, something crawling, kind of scooting around in the sand or in the mud, really. Yeah, in the mud, right? And so, how are you? So, you're doing that with a little like strip of the of the line, kind of doing that sort of jigging it or not jigging? What, what would be the word for that? What you're doing there? I would say bump, 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 bump it. Is that bump like a strip bump, like touch? Yeah, describe it. I'm trying to get to that point where somebody who hasn't done it before, how would you describe what they need to do? So it's like a six inch strip. Okay. Six inch strip. Gotcha. Okay. But you have to make sure that you're tight to that fly, right? So if you throw a cast and there's a bunch of slack and you start bumping it, you're just moving slack and the fly is just sitting there lifeless. So that's not because he needs to see it move, but it's also hard to say exactly because every fish is different and they're all doing, they all have their own little personality. And that's where the guide really comes in is they're watching what that fish is doing and they're saying, you know, long strip, strip it hard, strip it fast, bump it, you know? So there's a lot of different factors 
And I think just communication with your guide on what those words mean. What are those words? G- give me a rundown on the words that we're going to need to know. <laughs> bump, I'm, bump, what else? What else? So, you know, like if I say strip it hard, I mean strip it hard, like full arm length. Like so as fast as you can. Like, like, are we ever tucking this in your arm and doing that sort of stuff? No, no, not, I'm, not, not that you know, hard. Never like that. No. So if I say strip it hard, I'm usually trying to get you to get the fly where it needs to be. Oh, right, right, right. So you see the fish, you see where it's going and you want to get it right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, everyone's got, I think, little different words, you know, like people like to say ticket, but I, I personally have kind of just started saying bump it, you know, it's, it means the same thing, you know, and in that moment, everything's going to be so chaotic. You're not going to remember what I'm saying here. So, yeah. <laughs> right. This is awesome. Yeah, and sometimes, Dave, it takes – there's days when the fish will make a strike at it, and this is where Danes hit it on the nail head about trout setting. You don't – if you lift the rod straight up, your fly is going to move so far out of the zone. If he wants to come back at it again, it's not going to be there. So it's so important to keep that rod pointed at the fish down low to the rod tip almost in the water and – strip set with your hand that's that you're ticking with how hard of a strip set uh, it depends if you're mike <laughs> your mic or mouth <laughs> you want to go hard sometimes sometimes oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but i mean we all i've been the worst uh these guys have taught me so much in a year and a half where i used to because i was a top water wade fisherman you know, I've laid the heat to them and I've lost so many fish, but they, they put it in perspective where if you leave that in the zone, like the last three weeks we were fishing, every fish would hit it. You'd miss and you might make another cast to it and he crushes it. And we're like, what the hell? I guess you got to hit them on the head before they want to eat it. Right. Yeah. No, I was just going to say if that fish is working towards you, on the strip set, like if he's coming at you, that's usually when you make that big strip set because he's gaining slack. So it's a little different. You're reading that eat. If he's coming at me, man, I got to pick up a lot of line real quick. That's what I'll really hammer him because I don't have time to like, but if he's, but if he takes up on it, if he's eating it like perpendicular or even moving away, then the set, I know, oh, it's going to be a lot more like a feed. This is going to be a longer, more gentle set. And then I'm going to feel him. Yeah. But like if he's moving at me, that's when it's like, man, I got to make a full arm's length quick and then maybe a second one because he's gaining. So that's just kind of something to keep in mind. You know, eat like how each feed is different based on what they're doing. Each set is going to be a little different. And it also depends on the – this is where these guys are really good at this. Like I'm holding a fly that is what they call a bead chain versus a dumbbell. So – we can get into that too in a minute, but your fly weight, I think has a lot of, lot to, like keeping it out of it. We have a lot of grass, like Dave, you haven't been here, but the water sometimes is crystal clear where you see, you see blue crabs and grass on sand pockets. And so in the summer we get a lot of floating grass. And so you've got to have a fly that, you know, once it hits the water, you've got to be, that's the other thing that I learned from several, all these guys actually like, soon as you make that cast, you really need to be, you almost need to be stripping in the line right when it hits the water. And that's, that's the biggest component 
in my arsenal that ha- I've improved on because you keep the slack immediately out of the out of the line. Right. So you always want to have tension because they because if they hit, you need to. Well, are you seeing most of these takes or, or some of them you're just feeling? You see everything almost. Uh, I know Dane likes to fish more dirty water than most, and I get it because redfish, in my opinion, use dirty water as camouflage to sneak up on their prey. Plus, they don't see you as much as, I mean, the sun, the shadows. Dirty water, man, is it's pretty cool game it, because all you're looking for is like a silhouette, like a dark spot. And you can pretty much tell after doing it enough what's a drum, what's a sheephead, and what's a redfish. Yeah, because there's there's other species out here that we might be catching. Is that is it? Maybe talk about that a little bit. Are those the main species that are out there? Probably. Like, yeah, I'm more focused on the redfish. You know, um, the drum they're not nearly as active. They're a cool fish. You know, I'll always cast at them. You know, but I'm I'm looking mostly for redfish. That's the prize. Sheep's head is really exciting because they're almost impossible to feed that's like a real trophy catch one out here they're just they're just super difficult you know prison permit um but yeah you'll see them you'll see them all on a given day you might see a lot of all of those fish you know but it me i'm geared towards okay we're out here looking for redfish we'll take opportunities where we can get them with other species but the redfish is is the game i think dave something too that we want to really talk about that i don't think if anyone's never been here or been to Texas on this coast, sight casting redfish, there's there's things called crawlers, wakers, there's tailing fish, and anything else y'all want to add, Tyler? Mm, belly crawlers. Yeah, that depends on the tide level and everything. But that's always cool to see. Pods of fish, schools of fish. Yeah, anytime you see tails, it's kind of like, People get a little, a little knee shaky because you'd usually see that out in advance. So you can work up to it. A lot of our shots too are really quick. It's like, Hey, 15 feet right now, like put it down. But when you can work up to a fish, that's always fun to see. So Tyler, explain to Dave why they're tailing. While well, they're face down in the mud eating. And a lot of those fish too are pretty preoccupied with, with what they're doing. And sometimes they'll tail in pods and they're just, and they're tight, tight together. And that fly, that fly has got to get right down there in their face. So that's the accuracy is important. Oh, wow. So if a fish is tailing and you see a fish, a, a big fish you want to hit, you've got to drop that fly where, like right in where it's milling around. Yeah. So putting it, put it on the back side of it won't usually, like you got to figure out kind of where it's facing to see in which way its tail is kind of oriented. You can figure out you know, where its face is and, and you got to get a fly down to it. Dave, if you ever looked at a redfish, the side of a redfish's face, the profile, I don't know what, I don't, I used to sell tires to Caterpillar equipment and they had things called D9 bulldozers. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the redfish has a, like a, almost a bulldozer face. It's, it basically pushes when it's down doing that, it's going to be pushing the mud out of the way looking for like Dane said crustaceans and a lot of times they'll even be on the top of a, of a stingray just being lazy but picking off stuff coming from the stingray's gills so that's pretty much guaranteed fish that's going to eat if he's doing that a lot of times like we see a stingray we're going to make a cast but what I was getting at is a, is a shovel nose 
they use that nose, and that's why they're they're down like this, and their tails are up. I think they're pushing and just kind of they're almost like hogs. Right, they're just getting the stuff, just digging around to root as much as they can get out of the substrate. Right. Well, let's talk flies a little bit. So let's go around because we've got uh, you know probably some different flies. I, mean, I don't know if flies are critical, but uh, does everybody want to give me their top fly and we can get a list for people coming in? Or does it matter? But first of all, do, do flies matter? Could you throw on any fly that's a redfish fly and be okay with it? Typically, yeah, a hungry redfish will probably anything. I mean, I remember when I was like 17, 16, somewhere in there, me and a couple of buddies were just bay fishing with spin rods and I caught one on a gummy worm. So, <laughs> I mean, there are some days where they're just so hungry, they're going to literally eat whatever you put in front of their food. And then other days, man, they can just be super picky and you honestly are trying to figure out what the hell is going on. So Dave, everyone in this room ties their own flies and they're really dang good at it too. I mean, i I'm very impressed with, you know, with the way they tie flies and what they're using for material. And now I understand more after a year and a half later fishing with them, why they're tying what they're tying and why they're using the materials they're using. But I'll let them tell you about it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just go around the room here. Yeah. Let's hear, let's hear uh, maybe a tip on fly tying or maybe just give us your top fly. I think it's pretty, it's nuanced. I think that, man, like depending on where you're fishing, the weight has a lot to do with it. Um, the pattern I wouldn't say is super important. I think color is definitely important. Um, but I mean, there's times like, man, I just want to get it down fast. I'm fishing deeper. I'm on a bare bottom. I want that fly to be heavier. I'm over grass. It's going to be a lot lighter. I might even throw a surface fly, you know, so it, and it depends on what those fish are doing on that particular day too. You know, so I think anything that, you know, three inches that has, you know, a craft fur tail, marabou tail quan body something like that in black white chartreuse tan yeah what's a typical what's a name pattern that somebody could search on google and find like just to look at some of the stuff you guys would be using is there anything yeah a lot of people come down with flies that they look like they tie for louisiana that are gonna be they're just big too big oh okay yeah so that is a big difference because louisiana is a, a hot spot right so louisiana versus the texas coast there is a difference in flies and a lot of that stuff, they're fishing dirtier water. So a bigger fly that pushes more water, it makes sense. But yeah, if, if you see what a redfish crack is and how big that is, you know, two and a half, three inches long, like I wouldn't really tie a fly any bigger than that. Gotcha. Dane, you, you have a couple tips when we were doing the skip wander deal that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, probably think way too hard about it when I'm tying flies. So I don't know how much time you got, <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll keep it brief. I mean, honestly, I like to throw bead chain instead of dumbbell eyes a lot, you know, dumbbell eyes are just generally heavy. And a lot of times if you're seeing fish in mud that are like eating crabs and stuff, we'll throw a dumbbell eyed fly and just let it get to the bottom quick. But I mean, I like to throw, kind of a mix of natural and synthetic materials depends on what I'm going for. You know, a lot of, a lot of feather flies lately, just because I like the way that they sink, not quite as fast as some of the synthetic stuff. It doesn't get as full of water, but I mean, honestly, you know, something like Tyler said, two and a half, three inches long on a size two saltwater hook, 
you know, that's not too heavy, the redfish is most likely going to eat that. So when I first started coming down here, somebody that's way smarter than I am told me when in doubt, throw tan. So, you know, bring your tan flies, bring your black flies, bring a couple different weights and you'll be good. Gotcha. Any flash in any of those flies? Yeah. You know, you can get as simple or as complex as you want, really. You know, they, there'll be days where it seems like they turn off a flash, but they got to be really kind of in a weird mood to not eat your fly. Like that's just how they are. You know, if you, if you show well-presented fly, they're going to eat it. Flash, no flash, black, white, tan. So, you know, there's days where they'll make you change it up. Sure. But like for the most part, you get a fly in front of them that's two and a half, three inches long. He's going to eat it. Gotcha. So that's, a, that's really a, just getting it at the right place. That's the key, whether it doesn't like a lot of times in fishing, the fly is the third, maybe the third thing that, you know, comes up. It's more getting it, fishing it right, getting it in the right place. I see people bring down here, like they're almost like bonefish flies. Like they're tied real sparse and they're thin. We like just a little bit bigger profile fly than like your normal bonefish fly, I'd say. Squala Fly Fishing puts as much time, thought, and effort into designing fishing apparel as you put into finding fish. Founded in Bozeman, Montana by a group of fly anglers who wanted better gear, Squala builds functional, comfortable, and dependable fly fishing apparel. I've been loving the thermal 150 hoodie I've been wearing from Squala, and to be honest, I haven't been able to take this thing off. It's uh, super soft. It's perfect in the uh, whether you got hot weather, cold days. This thing is an all-around great piece of gear. Combining advanced materials with fishing-focused, purpose-built design, Squala waders, jackets, shirts, pants, and insulation are made for us. To help wet fly swing listeners, that's you. Squala is offering a 10% discount on your next order. Just use wet fly swing 10 at checkout right now to get 10% off your next order. That's Squala, S-K-W-A-L-A. Gear for us, the like-minded few serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Trout Routes is the most comprehensive mapping app for trout anglers. With over 50,000 trout streams, 350,000 access points, public land maps, and more, Trout Routes is the number one resource for navigating, researching, and exploring trout streams. And it deserves a place in every angler's toolkit. I was in New York fishing recently. My first time in New York fishing, I had the Trout Routes app, and I was able to check out and access public access points through the maze of private property on the rivers we were fishing. And after I got into the stream and was fishing down through a run, um, I wasn't quite sure. I saw a house down below. I wasn't quite sure where the property lines ended, but given that I had Trout Routes... I was confident where I was fishing, and I was able to uh, assure that I wasn't trespassing. You will be fully prepared with offline maps. You can get driving directions to points of interest, drop pins, add your notes in the app, all while keeping all of your data private to your account only. You can visit TroutRoutes.com right now to learn more and download the Trout Routes app for free in the App Store today. That's Trout Routes, T-R-O-U-T. R-O-U-T-E-S. Start exploring today. So maybe let's go around. Let's go around the room on a couple tips. Again, I was thinking the wind before. Does anybody want to give us a, a, a tip on casting into the wind? Like if the wind's, you mentioned 10 to 15 knots. What if it's up there and it's blowing? What do you say if, if you're not turning around and coming in? It's You could still cast. Anybody have any good tips here? Double haul. Oh, double haul. So you're doing a lot of double hauling out there? 
exclusively, I would say, mm -hmm. in the if you want to really get it there. And I would play around with the rod angle as well, be able to cast it multiple rod angles, be able to drop it, come over the top, whatever direction the wind is coming from. Difference. Yeah. Back cast. I would definitely say practice your like short shot back casts. You know, tip, sometimes there's guys that come down to the coast and they can only cast like a forehand and all these other guys. I mean, there's times where you literally have a shot at like 15 foot fish just right over the top backhand. So um, I would say at least being able to do that could be very crucial. Not saying you have to cast nine feet on a backhand, but. Or even using a, one thing I learned down in Argentina, that they use a lot of really effective roll casting. I mean, very effective. And so there's guys that are really good at it. And there's guys that they need a little work. So, yeah. And this is the cast where, and so you have the roll cast. What, are there any other casts that people should be thinking about? Any trick casts or anything else? I, I think the angle is right, depending on how the wind's blowing. It's pretty much just get good at double hauling, get good at maybe find a way to practice in, in the wind. And then the back cast you're saying is instead of, instead of doing the forward cast, you're literally, as you come back, you're casting behind you sort of thing or to the side, depending. Is that what you're saying there, Dill? Or to the right side of the boat. So anything at like one, two, and three o'clock, you can't really forehand, get a normal forehand cast to it because somebody's on the back pulling. So, and, and also with the way the wind plays out, sometimes it's the way it's going, a back cast is just better for that direction. So it keeps the fly away from you, keeps the fly away from the person pulling. But that, that's, I mean, that's a lot. Unless you're you're doing this saltwater fishing a lot, you're not really in a situation where you have to do a back cast a ton. But to cast off to the right side of the boat in a hurry, a lot of that's going to be a back cast. If there's time to turn the boat, it's easy to kick the boat and turn it and give somebody a forehand shot. But if a fish is swimming towards us, you know, you don't want to put the pole down and spook a fish if they're close. Being able to cast it to the right side of the boat, just letting it go on your back cast, that's a, that's a good one to practice. I would say one of the biggest things is kind of what Dane said. You know, really, you're going to fish your fly. You know, don't fish your fly line. You know, you kind of want to, like Dane was saying, whether, you know, either he's going to tell you to strip it real fast or, there's sometimes like if you like, let's say that fish is at 10 and you want to lead it to 12, but you end up hitting like 1231. And instead of taking that chance of trying to pick all that lineup and that fish is blowing out, you know, and that's why these guys are throwing these small B chain eyes and smaller flies. Cause you can typically let that fly kind of sit there and you can just adjust the fly to the fish instead of, you know, pick it up, try to lay it back down and the fish just blows out. Right. So that's the benefits of the bead chain. It's just being a little more subtle. So you're not, you can easily spook these fish if you pull up and rip your line out sort of thing. Yeah. Slow pick up is pretty important. If you're near the fish and you're going to recast just a couple feet, starting off slow, get that tension, get it five, six feet away and then recast to it. Right. Gotcha. I mean, there's times that you're going to, you know, you, it's inevitable. You'll have to try to pick up. And I think from videos, like what I see, Mike does it really well. Um, he's just real subtle about picking the rod up and just kind of like rolls it back over and like plants the fly softly instead of like just ripping it out and slapping it back down. That's what I was talking about with the roll cast. That that subtle, just short, when they're really short, right in front of the boat. You don't have time. I mean, that's the other thing where no, we, we haven't talked about yet, Dave, is, man, this game is it's about 
being quick. You don't have some days you don't have a lot of time to be false casting. Or if you make a short shot, let's say you're 10 feet short of the fish. Some people just can't get it there. Well, you don't have time to pull it back up and make a bunch of false casts. You have to do, I call it line slip. You get, you get one big, one big back cast, let all the lines slip out, load the back cast really good and make one shot. You don't have time. And I've been pretty lucky on some of these going away fish. You know, you just, you don't have time to false cast. It's about a time game. And some days are like we talked about earlier. They're happy. You, you can get away with a lot more, but most of the days, man, you've got to be pretty damn quick and you got to listen to your guide. Yeah. You might have one shot. A lot of these fish, you might see the, the red fish of a lifetime sort of thing. You might only get one shot at this fish. Is that kind of how it could work? Yeah. I wanted to add one thing ties back into like the backhand cast. Another thing that a lot of people don't think about is the angle that you're presenting the fly to the fish in relation to where he's going. So if that fish is over there at one o'clock moving down the bank away from you, if you make a forehand cast, it's going to be directly over his face and you're pulling that fly back into him, which is really unnatural. That the, the bait doesn't scare into the fish, it scares away. So if you're looking at a fish the way he's moving, you want to present it at as close to a perpendicular 90 degree angle across his face as you can at all times. So the backhand cast, not only does it not hit the polar, it also presents the fly better. So you might have some short cast that you could pick it up and go with a forehand shot. But a lot of times the way that the fly and the fly line lands in the direction you're going to strip it, you want to think about the way it intersects the fish and the way he's going to see it move, not coming back at him, but moving away from him. So that's, that's another kind of advanced thing to think about when you're really up there thinking about feeding redfish and getting them to eat. Perfect. Perfect. Nice. Well, we've talked a little bit about fishing here. Let's go back to maybe the experience of the area. It sounds like, I mean, this really amazing part of the the world. Um, you know, uh, Matt, you uh, maybe you want to start us off here? We'll go, go around and just talk about again. We've talked fishing, but just talk about this part of the Texas coast. Why is it unique versus other parts of the world that you guys have been in? Because I'm just, I've got this picture in my head of this amazing, you know, the weather, like if we're saying October, November, what, what, what can we expect as far as weather and what are we going to see when we drive up there? Yeah. So, I mean, it's talking about unique. I mean, kind of like Dylan said earlier, I mean, we have so much, you know, diversity here, you know, we may be back in the marsh, maybe fishing clear water in the marsh, maybe dirty water in the marsh. Uh, we have outside shorelines. Um, if you're lucky enough to get one of the couple days of the year where it's dead calm and you get to go out to the, the, uh, on the other side of the bay, you know, fish the uh, beach or something like that. Oh, so you do go, you do go out on the outside of the, what do you call that? The big peninsula island. Yeah, barrier island. Mm-hmm. yeah the barrier island. So do you guys do go on the outside of that and fish in the ocean side? Like I said, like there's probably a couple days of the year where we're, we're able to take our little skiffs out there. Uh, it is possible, um, you know, but most of the time, no, no, we're all pretty much in the, in the base. It's been the marsh, stuff like that. So, yeah. And what's your skiff? What what sort of boats are, would somebody be if somebody was going to be heading down there? Are, and are people doing this on their own? Are you seeing people just DIYing it pop out there with their own boats a lot? Oh yeah, oh yeah, all the time, all the time. Yeah, yep. So like for instance, my skiff is like you know it's just under seventeen foot. 
um, and it's not super wide. So, you know, three people on the boats, max capacity. So, you know, it'll, it'll run shallow, but it's not a good, good boat in rough water. So anything with bigger waves, it's terrible to ride in. <laughs> so. Okay. And what kind of boat you get? Give us a little picture. Of, what's the boat, the boat you have there, Matt, what's your boat What type? What's the brand? So I, I run a Maverick HPXT, which means it's a tunnel hole. Okay. Cool. How about everybody else? Do you guys all have similar boats? Do you guys all, is that, is that the, is, are all these boats pretty standard in this part of the, the country? Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Dane's running a beaver tail strike. Dylan just ordered a strike. I just ordered a strike and I'm in, currently I run a, um, oh, help me guys. <laughs> it's a problem when you have too many boats. Sorry. Yeah. That's right. a good problem to have. It is. What do I drive? Uh, what is it, a Lamborghini? <laughs> yeah, Tyler runs a really <laughs> cool boat. Um, what do you have, Tyler? Uh, I've got a Hell's Bay Professional. Mm. Yeah. Dave, they all have like certain attributes that others may or may not lack. Like my boat's not a big open water boat, but I wouldn't trade it for anything to be in the back skinny water for pulling. It's not great pulling with the wind, but... I want to get back to what you said about the area. I'd like everybody to kind of talk more about the area. Yeah, no, it's great. And I want to, and I do want to paint that picture. So, so let's just go around whoever wants to talk, maybe give us a, what do you guys love about that area? You know, for somebody who hasn't been there, what can they expect? What, what keeps you there? Because there's tons of places in the country you could go, right? Well, what, what do you love about it? I mean, I, I would say that the fishery itself is like the main you know, driving factor, the, just like I said earlier, it's a lot more like bone fishing, you know, with, with the clarity of the water, the depth of the water that we're fishing, um, the amount of shots that you have, you know, you, you go to Louisiana and you fish a little bit deeper water, you know, a little bit dirtier water, but here, you know, we get almost like tropical clear water occasionally, a lot of the time, really over grass, you know, it'll be, it'll so clear you can see the spot on these fish's tail you can see their eyes and so it's like you know you're interacting fish in a foot of water and it's crystal clear and there's sand and grass you know and like chris you know i occasionally like to fish dirtier water but it's not so dirty that it's like you can't see into it you know it's just off color because all flats fish eat better in off color water so, you know, I'm just trying to give whoever I got on the boat a little advantage there. Yeah, typically if it's super clean. Yeah. Biggest barrier island in the world. And so much of it is uninhabited. uninhabited. And we just, you know, fish miles and miles and miles of new, new stuff. You can't fish it all in a lifetime. No. And, and to, his, to Dane's point, what keeps this place so clean, Dave, is, is the... Uh, natural filtration systems of oyster shells, grass, sand. I mean, it can blow today 35 miles an hour, and by tomorrow afternoon, it's already cleaning up. All right. So, yeah, it starts blowing, it gets dirty, and then it cleans up quick. I mean, quick. Like, a lot of times, too, like my favorite time to fish is the winter, like right now, because the water, uh, as as the temperatures get in the 50s or 60s, the water becomes crystal clear. And when you get lower tides, you can see fish at 60 to 70 feet away. And you have more, you have more chances. I mean, you know, there's a lot of times like when we're fishing in the summertime, we're rolling over fish that we probably don't even know are there because the water might be too cold. 
cloudy. We'll get what we call uh, smoke or dust clouds, mud clouds. Well, you know, that was a big fish that just took out from underneath the boat. But if it had been cleaner water, you would have had maybe more opportunities to get to get a shot on that fish. Gotcha. And, and you said, so this is the largest barrier island in the world. That's Is that the case? Um, That's what you said? I don't know in the world. I, I think it's close to it. It is. It is. Yeah. There you go. Well, we'll, we'll fact check that for you. But Mike is, either way, yeah, he knows. <laughs> you can go ahead and Google it right now, dude. <laughs> yeah, we'll let everybody everybody's Google it now. But uh, no, this is great. Either even if it's the largest in the country, whatever. It's a map. I mean, that's the first thing I saw when I was talking to Alan on this about you know when he was describing. It looks like it's almost man made, you know, because it's so perfectly around how it protects all those towns, and it looks like almost it's a man made reef. But that's all a natural, and that's what Alan said is the fact that there's not a lot of people on that thing. You know, at least where you guys are at, there's not a lot of towns or people. It's pretty much a natural area. Well, what also we want to be uh, cognizant of, like right across from the lodge is the Ramses Wildlife Refuge and then Guadalupe Delta. There will never be any developing there for the rest of our lives. It's it's, it's a wildlife refuge. So we're kind of surrounded at 180 to almost 360 degrees of no development forever. And there's not many places that can say that. Right. Right. What's the weather like today? What are you guys expecting right now? It's, it's January. Uh, cold, windy, and wet. Cloudy, rain. Yeah. So it's a little like, what's the temperature? What, what, what's the temp there out there today? The high temp? 50s, low 60s. Yeah. So low 60s. There you go. And then, and then November, uh, well, October, like say the fall, is it going to be, well, what's the hottest part uh, out there? When is the time where people might be getting a little hot when they're fishing or is there any, or is it always perfect? Tyler and I can tell you. <laughs> Sometimes it's warm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But to his point, that was some of the best fishing we've had all year because of the daisy chaining of, of schools of redfish. We're all schooling up. Oh, the summer was good? Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. Yeah. The summertime, you see a lot of pods of fish, too. I think the weather, is, it's consistent. So right now, winter and spring and stuff, we get a lot more fronts. And fishing like a pre-front is not always the best, but usually the first couple days, nice days after a front is just killer. Oh, right. So, so you get a front coming, just like if you're fishing a lake or something, you, it's going to, the pressure and stuff is going to mix those fish up for a little bit. Yeah. So I don't know if these guys all were here pre cold, the freeze. Were y'all here before the freeze? Mm-hmm. Yep. So Dave, one thing that makes this place unique on Matagor Island is we have mangroves that normally are five to six foot tall. And so what makes it so unique, you can get behind those mangroves and get wind protection. Unfortunately, I don't know what year it was, 17, we had, a, we had a freeze that killed every one of those. But Mother Nature is taking over again, and she's allowed those trees to regrow. And, and right now, they're about two foot on, on Matagor Island. And I say in another year or two, they're going to get up to four or five foot. And what's so cool about it, you can get in these drains and creeks, and the wind can be blowing 18, 15, and you don't, you don't feel it. Plus, it's really helpful for someone that doesn't know how to cast as well as someone else. And it gives them a better chance of being able to make that shot. All right. So you guys have the ability to, to get to the spots where you can cater it to the person, their, their ability. Yeah. And what are the bays you guys are fishing 
what are the main bays that you fish? So there's a Spirito Santo, which means a Holy Ghost. There's Showwater. There's the Lagoon. There's a bunch of lakes, named lakes on Madagua Island. We'd have to have another hour to name all the lakes, but yeah, okay. We, yeah, we, lot, have, yeah. we have nicknames for all of them. What's that, Dane? I said, don't be naming any lakes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we name all of them ourselves. We we have Silly Lake and <laughs> yeah, we so have a spot burn. Yeah, there's Matagorda Island. There's the Delta, Hines Bay, Guadalupe Bay. So if you look at a map and where we're centrally located, there's about four to five bay system names around us. Right. Yep. And you guys are just cruising wherever, depending on the conditions and everything, going to the right spot. Yeah. Let's talk about a typical boat ride. What? How long does it take to get to an uh, average? What's a rod like, Dane? How, how many minutes? I mean, I, I personally am always running pretty far. You know, I, I like to go as far away from anybody as I possibly can. So how long does that take you? You know, it's usually like a 35 to 45 minute boat ride in my boat. Not to say you couldn't ride for 10 minutes and catch some fish. You know, it's just the personal preference. Yep. So you're cruising, drinking your coffee early in the morning, a nice boat ride, uh, cruising out. And you guys, what, what sort of motors do you have on the back? Is it What's the typical size motor you'd have on those? 60 or 70 horse. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Massive. Yeah. So typically a boat of our size, you can run all day for, and, and not even burn five gallons of gas. I mean, it's incredible the, the, how efficient these, these motors are and how light the boats are. Um, but there's really a lot of room. Once you get placed on a boat, and that's another segue to really talk about how do we work, how's our program work for two anglers versus one angler? Y'all want to talk about oh, right. that? So you guys do Matt? both. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Matt, let's talk about, how would you handle two people and how would they get to fish taking turns? Tell me how you would do it. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously sight fishing, um, you can only have one angler fishing at a time. So, you know, get the first angler up and I usually just leave it up to the two guys of how they want to rotate around, you know, get a couple shots at fish. If you miss them, okay, let the next guy set up, step up or, you know, fishing's really good. Just catch a fish, boom, hop off. Next fish, next person hops up, catch a fish, boom, hop off. So, uh, I just leave it up to discretion of my anglers. You know, they can fight over it, not me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you're never, okay. Yeah. You're not going to have two people. There's a fish here and a fish over here and both are, are casting for the, at the same time. That's not going to happen. So <laughs> most part, no, uh, if it just ends up being a stupid day, somebody catches a fish and we see another fish, like, you know, right next to him cruising or, you know, not spook, then, okay. You know, okay. You hop down. Okay. See if you can hop up and get a cast at them. So, yeah, 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 yeah. But you, you don't have to be like a double. Does a double ever happen? Yeah, it does happen. Yeah, it does. Father and I've had in the schools of fish this summer. We had multiple times where we had two two fish on at a time. It's a rodeo. Gotcha. <laughs> it really is. Well, you know, we're obviously not going to have time today to cover everything. I think this is the cool thing because we're going to be talking more to you guys as we go. But let's just think real quick as we start to take it out of here. You know, big picture, what have we missed? Any, if you had last words, if somebody's like listening to this right now and they're thinking, man, I really want to do this, but I want to know a little more about it. Let, let's go around and say, what, what, what have we missed here today? Maybe, Chris, you want to start us off? I would like to talk about what you need to bring versus what we have. So the guides have top flight equipment. 
rods, reels, flies, tippet, backing, I mean, uh, leader material. What's the line? What's the, what's the line? Do you guys use all sorts of different brands and types, or is there one that you just recommend? Depends on your guide, I would say. going to be yeah. a float. That's floating line for sure. Floating. Okay. Yeah. No sinking. Yep. Yeah. And then some guys use, they'll make their own leaders. We mostly do. Uh, some guys buy the store bought leader, tip it altogether. But most of the time, you know, they're running a 50 pound butt, butt section, right, Dane? I mean, I go 50, 30, 20. Yeah. So it lays over really well. So what I would like to tell the, the listener is if you want to bring your favorite gear, please do so. I mean, I always heard Dane say or Mike say, oh, you tie your own flies. Great. Let's see. Put it on. I mean, they invite, they, they want to see what it'll do as long as it's, you know, apples to apples to what we throw. But like the biggest thing I would think would be like having a gear bag to bring on the boat, like windbreaker, sunscreen, sun gloves, a buff, because it gets really hot here. The sun just I try to tell Mike all the time, where's your sunscreen? And he just laughs at me. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Where's your hat? That's good. So bring all the gear so you have a little bag with you. What about beverages? Are, is there a, a ability to drink a, a beverage on the boat while you're out there? Yeah. So these guys all know how we do it. And so we have, to be sustainable, there's no plastic or styrofoam allowed on any boats. We just don't do it, neither at the lodge. So we we charge all our reusable containers with ice and water and everybody gets their own jug. And then we have lunches provided on the boats, but we'll have plenty of water. And if, the, if at breakfast we'll ask, Hey, do you want any kind of sodas or, you know, some guests might want to take a beer or two, but all that's provided. I mean, they don't have to bring any of that. It's all covered. Yes, sir. Yeah. So somebody could literally show up with just, um, I mean, their clothes, and, uh, and like you said, some, I mean, that they could probably be good. You guys would have things covered. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Show up with a fishing license and a good pair of glasses and you're good to go. <laughs> right on. That's right. And what glasses do you recommend? What's the best uh, lens for that, for this fishing? Green mirror is tough to beat. That's a really good water site fishing lens. It's a green. Yeah. I think I have. And so, okay. and then the low light conditions, you might want to have an amber color. Yeah, the amber. I think the amber seems like, yeah, there you go. Is that the, the, yeah, gotcha. What's the brands you guys have? Do you have a mix of things? Costa, other, what are your, what are you guys wearing? Yeah, we, we sell Smith and Costa, Dave, at the lodge as well. So if they, if they forget anything, like we have buffs, we have. Okay. Do you have a shop? So is there a, like, a, is there a gear that people can get there? Absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah. So you guys have everything. You have flies, everything you need, you got at the shop, at the lodge. Yep. And if they even want to call and order a rod and reel, we could have it waiting for them. Okay. Nice. All right. Do we want to keep uh, going around here and just giving us a kind of last words on what we should be, if you had to give somebody listening one more, t- you know, heads up on what they could expect. Uh, Dylan, do you want to, do you want to think anything coming to mind where, you know, somebody's thinking like, man, do I want to do this trip? Like, why would they want to do this trip? They definitely want to do this trip. Like, <laughs> no, if and. Just for the redfish, right? I mean, just for the redfish, they want to do it. But uh, but other than that, I mean, what is it just the, it seems like the natural area is worth it just for that too. Yeah, no. So, man, coming from South Padre, like the water, the fishery is so much more fun here. And like, I never get tired of redfish. I've been doing it 
for what, let's say almost 15 years, probably. So coming from down there to here, uh, it's just one of those things. I literally moved all the way from one place to another place to just catch the same fish. I mean, you know, that says a lot. I mean, it's just, you don't get tired of it. It's that different in some of these areas. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, Chris was talking earlier about the stingrays, you know, coming from like, you know, we are South, but even farther South, like I was right on the Mexico border, you know, you always heard that thing. You always, every, you know, people talked about the redfish on stingrays and honestly, like my whole years of living down there, I've probably seen it twice. And then I moved here and within a month, I probably saw it like 15, 20 times. So it's, it was one of those, one of those missed things that where you hear it, but you don't see it. And then there you actually see it. And, you know, another cool thing about here um, is you could be pulling and pull up on alligator gar. So I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, nice. To do that. Um, you know, the fishing for the drum, the sheep said, that's all a lot newer to me. We have them down there, but they're not as plentiful as they are here. So, I mean, I'm not the type of dude to really pass a fish up. Like if it's a fish, it presents itself. I'm going to cast at it. No, really, I don't. I mean, unless they're like real small, like eight, nine, ten inch fish, little drum, something like that, more than likely, probably. But typically, man, I take advantage of everything I can. And you know what? You're going back to talking about um, what would they bring? You know, it's Mike said a fishing license, or that's pretty much it, man. You know, there's some people out there in the world who don't have the money to buy all kinds of gear, man. You show up, and your guy's going to give you a good time. Yeah, that's perfect. What what are the after you get off in the I'm I'm do you get off kind of in the evening? Is this something where you're fishing all day? Or are you coming back and then going back out for the evening? Or we'll talk about that. What's that second half of the day look like? Uh, no, I, they're they're you're out there all day. So the ladies at the lodge, uh, the kitchen staff, they pack you a lunch, um, amazing sandwiches. So I typically I don't know, Chris, do they come back ever for hot lunches? No. Mike's got his first split day coming up for two days. I think he's pretty excited about that. Right, Mike? Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, but one thing we haven't shared upon this gathering is the fishing, like Dane and everyone says, is why they fish here. The other, the other thing we're really, really proud of is the, the culinary excellence and the accommodations. We take a lot of pride in our, our meals. You better – you better come hungry because you're going to get a lot. You get two appetizers at night, an entree. It's like a five-course dinner. And we do seafood. We do meats. Anyways, I just wanted to make sure the listeners know that we really take a lot of pride in, in, in the culinary excellence. That's it. No, I think that is the next factor from what from our trips and just talking to people. I think that the the food you don't think about it as much, but it is that thing that you know it, it just kind of puts it up to another level when you have the the great food. Right on. So, Matt, what do you think? About what else you got? Um, I would just say you know if you're on the verge of thinking like, oh, do I want to come fish or or not? I mean, I would ask yourself. I mean, do you like? Side casting to a bunch of dumb, hungry redfish that pull really hard. Because <laughs> if you do, I mean, this is the fishery to come to. Right. <laughs> it's the sight fishing, right? That this is what you guys said at the start, I think, right? This sight fishing is really what puts this in another another level as well, where you can't do this type of sight fishing for redfish all over the country. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like for me, like coming from the trout world, I mean, most of the stuff that we do is not sight fishing. It's just blind cast. You know, you just blind cast over and over throughout the river. And I mean, it's fun. It has its it has its place in the world. But uh, I mean, 
for redfishing. I mean, it's all about visually seeing the fish, you know, for me, I don't blind cast the redfish, you know, I, I like the visual aspect of it. So, you know, I want to see the fish before I cast to it. So that's what, that's what does it for me. Nice. Nice. Tyler, how about you? Do you have any last, last words you would leave people with thinking about like, well, I don't know, I'm thinking about this, but you know, what, what would you tell them? Man, it just takes one. Like these guys are saying, uh, it's so visually appealing and it, it doesn't get old because watching a redfish eat can be the craziest thing. Sometimes you put it like on their head and they break their neck trying to go get it. Like they just do some of the most ridiculous things. Lunging at flies. It's it's cool to see. And it could just take one one of those to make somebody's day. Perfect. And uh Dane or Mike, do you guys have any other any words of uh of wisdom or uh advice or anything before we head out of here? Man, I mean this is this is probably one of the most unique fisheries that I've been to in the sense of the amount and frequency of fish that you're gonna run into. So I mean if you're if you're looking to get into saltwater fly fishing, I think that there's probably no better place to come than here and you know, kinda cut your teeth on a lot of shots and watch watch what these fish do. That's a great point. So if you could do this if you could do this down where you guys are, you could take this and go bone fishing or lots of places around the world in the salt and be these skills you're going to learn here are going to apply other places. This is a lot. I've said it a couple of times now. It's a lot like bone fishing. I mean, you know, real, real visual, real shallow. So, you know, that's kind of, it kind of is a good way to see how fish behave on the flats and like what they do and how they're doing it. And so I think it's a great place to start if you're looking to really get into saltwater fly fishing and then it's a great place to come if you're, if you've been doing it forever, just because, you know, it's, it's great fishing. So. Right. And Mike, were you, did you have uh, something there? No, I think that's perfect, man. I mean, uh, I think for me personally, I'm in awe every time I go out and watch what these fish do, it's different every day. And you come down here and you'll, you'll see, you'll see it for yourself like a fair amount of times throughout the day. Sometimes it's absolutely crazy, but even if you see a few and, and it's really just watching what they do, let alone interacting with them with your fly, just watching them and being out there is, is insanely special on its own. You know, I mean, I've moved all the way across the country just to do this for a majority of the year because I am obsessed, absolutely obsessed. So yeah, that's my testimonial. (laughs) I could see that just being the, the casting. I, we joke about it sometimes up here. You know, the steelhead runs have been kind of down in some of these rivers. There's closures and, and things like that. And people have talked how, you know, like, just give me a fly with some feather. I don't even need a hook. I just want to be out there on the water, like, with the fish and having a chance. It feels like this is the same thing where you guys just love being there and seeing the fish. And, and even even if you don't get a – maybe you don't hook a fish in a day, you guys. Do you feel like if that happened, you'd be okay just kind of checking out fish and seeing them? You'd have a smile on your face. Yeah. If yeah. you saw, you didn't put your hands on one, you'd be like, wow, okay, well, now I want to, you know, I got to get tomorrow. You know, but you would not be, I've never been disappointed. And Dave, to wrap it up, I'm just going to tell you how easy it is to get. To get here is very easy. Uh, Houston has a major international airport. You're two and a half, sometimes you're two hours, depending on the traffic, to our front door. Some guests, Fly into Port Labaca. We have two Sprinter vans. We'll come pick you up out on the tarmac if you have your own plane. Victoria is 48 minutes from here. We can go pick you up 
over there with our vans. And Corpus is about an hour and a half. We do offer van shuttle service. Uh, there's a fee for that. But, um, you know, if you don't want to lay over and go just fly straight to Houston, get a, get a rent car, you'll be here two and a half hours. Okay, good. Good. I'm glad you said that. And and do you guys also cover uh, duck hunting? Is that something else you are doing there? We do. We're we're right currently in our blasting cast, and we're actually getting quite a few fly fishers that are they're duck hunting in the morning or flipping it. Uh, we're getting ready to do a video shoot next week. Two video shoots where we're probably going to do the fly fishing in the morning and the duck hunting in the afternoon. Nice. I I, I made that executive decision yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah, you can duck yeah. hunt whenever, right? You don't need the the calm morning to right. go duck hunting. We'd rather have the calm morning mornings, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah good. And uh, and as we take it out here, let's just, I'm always curious on some random uh, topics just to get a couple more questions out of you guys. So the um, so the sports, you guys have a bunch of sports. Is, are there any sports fans in here? What, what's your guy as you look around here? I know you've got the, the Spurs up there. Oh, Mike, Mike, come on, Mike. I'm a Giants fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So we got a giant. We got a Giants fans. Uh, what, what about uh, what about uh, any anybody else here? Are, are you guys big sports fans or not? I mean, dude, it's a Broncos fan, but that's what I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm. Low Spurs. Yeah, totally. The Spurs. Yeah, I know the Spurs well because I'm a I'm a Blazers fan, and they've been terrible for a long time. So the the Spurs have always been a good team. So we're praying for the Texans. Hopefully they come back and start winning some championships. Okay. All right. Perfect. All right, guys. Well, I think we'll leave it there. We'll send everybody out to uh, bayflatslodge.com. And uh, and hopefully I'll be seeing you guys this year if all works out well. And I just want to thank everyone for the time today and appreciate what you guys do and uh, and for putting this together for us. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Thanks to all the guys. Yep. Thanks. Appreciate it. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com, if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.